in my opinion, this has been the perfect opportunity for us to innovate in our business. If we're looking for some positives, I think there's a lot of them to point to. I've seen quicker pivots in our business and implementing programs faster than I've seen in 20 years over the last four weeks. Maybe this gives us confidence in the future to move faster for creating positive changes and embracing innovation because we've proven that we can do it quickly when we're up against the wall. So maybe we can do it quickly even when we're not up against the wall. I also think about the future of work in our country. Do we think that working remotely or virtually will be less of a thing 10 years from now or more of a thing 10 years from now in corporate America? The current situation could be one of the first dominoes of that taking a more permanent shift across North America and, and certainly across the world. I think the experience in summer of 2020 could be more meaningful than maybe it's ever been before. It just proves to us that there's always a next level. Sometimes it's a crisis that brings it on or a challenge, and other times it's because of forward-thinking people in an organization that try to find solutions and make things better. That's Wes Frank, one of the most respected leaders in the Cutco Vector organization. Wes is respected for his integrity, intelligence, adaptability, and innovativeness. These are precisely the qualities that can help all of us survive and thrive through current challenges and uncertainty. In this conversation, Wes shares his story and discusses the mindset necessary for evolving as a professional and for empowering others around you. I know you'll find the ideas in this episode to be highly practical and extremely relevant. This is my colleague and friend, Wes Frank. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm grateful to be able to have Wes Frank with me today as our guest for this episode. Wes has been in the Cutco Vector business for about 20 years, having started in the year 2000 with Earl Kelly. The current Northeast region manager was Wes's first manager when he started in the business. Wes became a district manager in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, ultimately relocated to Arizona in 2005 to be able to take over that area as a division manager. Since then, Wes has been the division manager of the Rising Sun Division, and he has built a truly outstanding organization responsible for over $55 million 
in business. He, of course, is a member of the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame. I really wanted to get Wes on the podcast right now because Wes is well known for being very smart, for being very innovative, and for being really well respected throughout the company. The kind of person that a lot of our young people in the company would look to for guidance and direction during a time of crisis and uncertainty, which is exactly what we're in right now. So we're going to talk about that today, along with uh, Wes's story of growing up in the Cutco Vector business. So Wes Frank, thanks so much for making time for the podcast today. Dan, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Love the podcast. I think with this podcast, you're doing great work to show and uh, kind of showcase the the types of people that we have here in the Cutco business. So, So thank you for having me. Yeah, awesome. Well, I had somebody tell me, just yesterday that one of the things he got most from working in Cutco was the concept of being able to be innovative and to solve problems and really have that sort of a mindset. And I know that the, that mindset is helping people like you and many others navigate the current challenges that we're facing. And I'm grateful to be able to talk to you about those things today. We're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus crisis throughout our country. And I think I want to get right into talking about that right up front, and we'll certainly get to your story today, Wes. But I want to just talk right away about the challenge that's facing us right now and just what are some of your thoughts as this whole crisis began to unfold? It's been pretty wild, that's for sure. You know, I think the situation has hit people and parts of the world and certainly parts of our country in different stages of reactions as restrictions have tightened. So you know, my wife and I, we both work full-time. We have a five-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. So for us, it has been quite the adjustment, taking turns working throughout the day, jumping on and off different conference calls and Zoom calls, while the other one is with the kids trying to uh, do our best to keep them somewhat productively entertained and uh, productive uh, being the operative word there. And some days we feel like we're doing better at it than others. But I've always had a ton of respect for teachers. But I think in this situation, it's certainly made my appreciation uh, taken to a whole new level. That's for sure. (laughs) Indeed. I feel exactly the same way, Wes. Uh, We're in the exact same boat, as you know. My wife also works full time. And we've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So we we can totally relate to what's happening. And what's interesting from my wife's perspective also is that she's a banker and she's in commercial lending. And when the window opened here for the loans under the stimulus package, she was saying that the first day of that opening would be more busy with applications than the entire calendar year up until now combined. That's unbelievable. Her business is super busy. And of course, here in Cutco Vector, uh, we're trying to innovate and develop new programs at a, at a very rapid clip sure. right now. So it's a, it's a turbulent and challenging time. So, but I think that uh, it's times like this that uh, bring out the greatness in all of us. And so hopefully that's what people will find out about uh, you and me and uh, most of our colleagues in the Cutco Vector world. So what's your mindset right now as, uh, as we're going into this? Yeah, you know, from a business perspective, Dan, it's, it's made me feel very grateful for the Vector Cutco business. There are a lot of people out there at risk of losing their jobs, uh, if you've seen some of the stats right now. And that is just not the discussion we're having here in our business. Uh, you know, in, in true Vector spirit, the conversations that I've been hearing and have been about how we can have our best summer in years and, and maybe ever. So to me, it comes down to the decision to innovate and find solutions, as you said. And 
don't get me wrong, like that's not an easy thing to think about, especially when you see so many people on social media and in the news throwing their hands in the air like nothing's in their control. And in my opinion, this has been the perfect opportunity for us to innovate in our business. You know, people are what I found is more open to thinking differently than, than at any point in my 20 years in the business. So if you're someone who's interested in finding solutions and improvements, both for you know, short-term and long-term, I would say it's been easier to find like-minded people who are open to innovation now than it's ever been. And so you know, in this current situation, it was, it was basically forced innovation, right? So I don't think anyone could have predicted this situation, but we were forced to make some really quick pivots in our business and you know, to some key programs that we've come to know and love over the years, like the interview and training and, and the demo, even basics like that. And so you know, what, what's been interesting is that as we've been positively seeking these improvements over the last couple of weeks, I, you know, I started wondering why, why, if we were able to make so much great progress in just a few short weeks, why did it take us so many years to get to some of these improvements and innovations? And you know, I think it comes down to the fact that at the time, maybe they weren't seen as, as critical moves back then. But we've had a really good business for a long time with the traditional programs. And then it just became very important very quickly to, to make adjustments in a really short amount of time. So what's inspiring to me is that we've been able to do it. And so I've seen quicker pivots in our business and implementing programs faster than I've seen in 20 years over the last four weeks. So if we're looking for some positives, I think there's a lot of them to point to, but I'll just give you a few. So number one, I would say some of the programs that you know have been developed, I think will live on much longer than just during this season of social distancing. So as a manager and as a rep sales force, we'll have strengthened muscles that we haven't needed to work out much previously, and we'll have those tools in our tool belt moving forward. So that that to me would be one of the first positives. Yeah, another positive I would say is you know, maybe this gives us confidence in the future to move faster for creating positive changes and embracing innovation because we've proven that we can do it quickly when we're up against the wall. So maybe we can do it quickly even when we're not up against the wall. So to me, that that's a second positive possibility that can come from this. So the third, I would say, if you're a summer branch manager listening to this right now or the parent of a branch manager listening to this, I think the experience of branching in summer of 2020 could be more meaningful than maybe it's ever been before. And it's always been extremely meaningful, but I think it, it could be even heightened. And here's why. Forget for a second that it could be one of the most profitable summers to run a branch office with, you know, with the possibility of building huge teams of people and maybe some different expense models compared to what we've had in the past. But I also think about the future of work in our country. Do we think that working remotely or virtually will be less of a thing 10 years from now or more of a thing 10 years from now in corporate America? And if you talk to the people that I talk to, most people will tell you it will absolutely be more of a thing. And in fact, the current situation could be one of the first dominoes of that taking a more permanent shift across North America and, and certainly across the world. And it's almost like a big social experiment, right? And so, you know, for our branch managers, think about how you're going to be able to describe your summer experience in your interviews five or 10 years from now. 
I virtually recruited, trained, and developed a fully remote sales team of 50, 100, 150 people who combined for over blank amount in sales for mm. the summer and built a profitable business in four months. And oh, by the way, I, I started it during the lockdown when most of my friends were laying on the couch watching Netflix. So <laughs> in my mind, like nobody's going to be able to touch branch manager 2020 resume for years to come. So that is like an absolute layup story to talk about in all of their future interviews. So, and then I would also say for district managers, I think we have an opportunity to provide just great income and great experience to a lot of people who are going to be very much in need of work this summer. So more people will be looking for work this summer than maybe any summer we've ever had in our company history. So while a team meeting or an SC1 might feel a little different for us than maybe it has in the past, it it won't feel different for our new reps this summer because that will be all they have experienced. And it could even open up some different creative, positive opportunities like getting top-notch guest speakers from all across the country who don't need to be local or physically at the meeting in order to impact the meeting. So yeah, so Dan, I would say those would be some of the things that that I'm thinking about right now when it comes to my mindset and how it's impacting our business. Awesome comments right there, Wes. I want to echo what you said about being grateful for our business, the fact that our business is not looking to constrict at all in any way. Like We're looking to expand. We're looking to grow. We're still looking to have as big of a summer as we could have had or bigger than we could have had here this coming year. And it's cool to know that uh, you know the people that are trained with the opportunity to earn an income in a variety of ways and can still do that even in the midst of this crisis. You made a great point that people are open to thinking differently right now. Part of this is because we've sort of been forced right, to change, but that's one of the benefits of what has happened with all of us is that there is this more openness and this desire to innovate interesting question you posed about, you know, why did it take us so long to figure some of these things out, right? Because some of the things that we're developing are things that we could have developed two years ago or even five years ago. Right. But now because we're forced, we're developing things a whole lot faster. And what I think it comes down to, Wes, is that a lot of people in our business were comfortable with what they were doing, right? They were succeeding at a level that was good enough that they were happy and satisfied and living a good life and happy with their lifestyle and weren't really driven to change or driven to innovate. And that what this has brought on is a necessity to innovate. And so that comfort has been pushed aside and people are more proactively out there working on solutions to be able to solve the current challenges and and still get results. How inspiring is that, though? That means that for the rest of our time in this business or any business, when you're at a point of comfort, that that's not the point to just not search for solutions anymore. It it just proves to us that there's always the next level. And uh, sometimes it's a crisis that brings it on or a challenge. And other times it's because of forward-thinking people in an organization that that try to find solutions and make things better. Yeah, definitely. It's important for everybody to be constantly working on their skills and also developing their creative thinking and reading and taking in things that get them to think outside the box a little bit more so that we can continue this process you know, well into the future. Tell me about how you feel like uh, Cutco managers can best navigate through this situation and, and particularly like how are you working with your team there in the Rising Sun division? 
I would say two things, Dan. Number one, I would say something that I try to teach my managers and reps whenever they're experiencing a challenge. So let's just talk generically about challenges in general for a second. And one of the questions that I ask is, is this a problem of skill or focus? And asking ourselves, is the reason I'm not hitting my goals right now because of a skill that I'm lacking or is, is it because of a focus that I'm lacking? And some people say, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I get people say, no, 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 Wes, it's, it's not a skill issue. Like, I, I, like I've hit these numbers before in the past. I, I know I'm skilled and talented and I just haven't been motivated or I just haven't been committed or focused to, to finding the solution. And, you know, my typical response to that answer is, oh, okay, prove it. And so if it's truly a focus issue and, and not a skill issue, then that means that when you really are focused on it for a week or two, you should be able to hit those goals. So I don't say that in a, in a challenging, antagonistic way, but really more in a way to prove it to yourself as a learning experiment so that you're sure that it's not so that you're sure that it's not a skill improvement that you need to dedicate more time to. And by the way, if it is a skill improvement that's needed, no problem, right? There's plenty of resources to improve. So getting back to the current situation with the coronavirus here as an example. So a challenge that I had when this came up was creating a training program and a virtual demo that could be spread throughout my 30 office division quickly and raise the floor on guaranteeing that every single rep in my division, even when they're being trained remotely, was at least going to get a certain level of high quality information and that reps would have a professional and intuitive platform to demonstrate cocktail. So that was the challenge, right? So regardless of maybe the experience level of their local manager and regardless of whether there were lots of top reps in their local territory or not. So that's the challenge, right? So how do I go about that? Well, for me, it wasn't a focus issue, right, to solve it, because I think all of our managers were really focused on, on this, this challenge, right, on, on finding solutions. For me, it was a complete lack of skill to come up with the solutions that I thought that we needed. So I didn't go to school for video editing. I didn't go to school for website design. But there's answers out there. And mm -hmm. so there's free resources online and through smart people I'm connected to in this business and elsewhere that I could reach out to and ask questions. So by doing that, I was able to raise my skill and kind of self-teach uh, myself iMovie and, and website development over the last couple of weeks, just you know, some rudimentary skills on how to build a website platform to house our, our new virtual demo. And so that was me. But let's say it's a, a new wrap and maybe the challenge is selling two grand a week consistently. So let's say they're if they're not doing it right now, it's either because of a skill or a focus issue. So if it's a skill, no problem. They could ask more questions to their managers. They could go field training. They could go virtual field training. They could there's hundreds of talks on Vector Connect from top reps on phoning and closing and even previous episodes of this podcast that somebody can use to increase their own belief in the opportunity. So in my mind, in, in today's day and age, Dan, it is totally fine to blame lack of skill in the short term, but it's not okay in the long term. There are just too many easily available resources to improve skill set, especially in our business. And so in the current situation, my advice to my team right now is ready, fire, aim, and lean into the new programs and innovations. So I would say if you're a representative listening to this, 
or a relatively newer manager, I would say, you know, your division managers, your region managers have some great answers right now. And we'll make some adjustments on the fly for sure as we get more and more best practices that become obvious. But you can't steer a parked car. So my advice is to work hard and do the things that we already know, which is promoting the great rep opportunity we have, building a great team. And you'll get better at navigating little stuff like Zoom breakout rooms for your team meetings or whatever other questions that you may have along the way. But don't allow the possible pothole in the road 10 miles down the road to prevent you from flooring it from here to there. So that would be the first thing I would say is lean into the changes and don't be afraid of some of the new things that are that are being uh, implemented. So that's a great point. Thanks. Yeah. So I, you know, I think the second thing, Dan, is I try to keep in mind that not all of the answers in my organization need to come directly from me. So I try to empower my reps and managers to find answers and solutions. I'll tell you, that's one of the biggest things I learned from working with my region manager, Lloyd Reagan, over the years is to ask myself as a leader, what do I value more, control or empowerment? And over the years, he's really given me the freedom to experiment and innovate and be excited about trying new things. And not all of them took off, but a lot of them did. And that concept of control versus empowerment in my organization is, is how I try to work with some of the leaders in my own division. And you know, we have some Hall of Fame reps in the business, like Jason Jeffrey, who runs our events program, and Luke Mills, who helped pioneer the, the service events program, Jenny Vega, one of the top closing gift consultants. So we've also had a lot of success and been really fortunate to have some, some reps move to the warmer weather, like Adam Conroy and Matt Foss in particular over the years. And I try to give those top people the freedom to kind of let their, their strengths shine. And I think you and I, Dan, have talked about this in the past, I know. And I, I think what, what value can I provide to people like that? It's not about control or, or teaching them how to sell Cutco at this point. Like they know more about selling Cutco than I do. But where I feel like I can add some value is, is helping them maybe navigate professional communication or bringing people together when challenges arise, like the current situation that we're in and uh, kind of rallying the troops. So top managers in my organization, like Andrew Nickerson or Jared Timmons, you know, when I'm working with guys like that, you know, I try to encourage them to seek answers, not just from me, because I, I need to be humble enough to realize that I don't have every answer. And so not just from inside our division, but, you know, I encourage them to seek answers outside of our division, but also maybe even outside of our region or even company. And so having the humility as a leader to admit you don't always have all the answers, but I do try to have the right questions. And I think right now, good questions can be just as valuable as good answers. Brilliant final point you made right there that good questions can be as, as valuable as good answers, because as soon as we set a question into our mind, our mind starts seeking the, the solution, the answer to that question. And that is going to move us in a specific direction. And then we've got to be able to direct ourselves by asking the right questions. And so that is, I believe, one of the key roles of the leader in this time of challenge is to be sure that they are, they're designing what are the questions that our people are working on? What are the things that our people are working on innovating? But then, as you said, allowing people to innovate and to develop programs from the ground up versus from mm. the top down. Yeah. I think that's critical right now. It's the only way for stuff to grow super fast uh, in any organization is if there's a lot of people working on it from the ground up. So, And your point about ready, fire, aim, I also think is critical right now as well, particularly in our business, 
the notion of trying to have something be perfect before it's implemented is a recipe for long delays and long time for something to start happening. And we don't have the luxury of that time right now. And I think that our company has also sent a clear message to people that we're going to make sure that our people get through this. We're going to help people as needed and make sure that our people get through this. And so the downside risk for most managers who are innovating quickly right now is not very high. And the upside potential is very high. And so it's the perfect time for Ready, Fire, Aim right now. Absolutely, Dan. You're right. The company's really stepped up to the plate here and uh, given our reps and managers confidence that they can go after some of these innovations and maybe not worry so much as maybe they would have otherwise. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Wes, I'd love for people to be able to hear your story. So this is your first time on the podcast and I want to make sure we uh, do you some justice here by <laughs> uh, sharing your Cutco Vector story. So we'll come back to some of this other stuff here as we go along. But uh, cool. let's hear about how you got started with Cutco and your your path from new sales rep on up the ladder. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I started in summer 2000 in uh, the Philadelphia area in Bucks County in Earl Kelly's pilot office. And my job before Cutco, Dan, was to be a water slide guy at an amusement park. Actually, that might even be a little too generous of a title. Only some days I got to do that. It almost sounds like I got to sit with my feet in the water all the whole time. But most of the days, my job was actually to walk around the park with a broom and a dustbin and, and pick up trash after people. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so the highlight days were the water slide days. So I did that for a couple summers. And then I remember coming home from freshman year at Penn State, and I decided that I wanted to do something different. A family friend of ours was recruiting people to be U.S. census takers for the 2000 census, which I just got mine in the mail, uh, you know, last week, I think. So every 10 years in our country. So, you know, I, I did that for three weeks in May, but it was, it was only a short term couple week job and then it was done. But looking back on it, I think maybe that did get me kind of warmed up to the idea of sitting in someone's kitchen table and asking them questions and building rapport and also realizing that I could make money without having to stand behind a register somewhere for six, eight hours a day and have a little bit of uh, a little more freedom. And so, you know, the census mm -hmm. was a job where the more people I saw in a day, the more I could earn. So that did kind of prime me up, I think, for, for getting the letter in the mail a couple of weeks later. And so I got the letter from Vector and it was really great timing. I'd never sold anything before, but I had become pretty comfortable chatting with most people. So I, I sold around 17,000 bucks my first summer. I wasn't number one any week of the summer, but I was pretty consistently selling between like a grand, two grand, three grand a week. So when all was said and done, I ended up being one of the top new reps in the office by the end of the summer. And uh, I think at the end of the summer, I remember Earl asked me, have you ever thought about management? And, uh, and I said, no, not really. And then he just kind of walked away. And, uh, and then, you know, asked me, I think another day, uh, another meeting, have you ever thought about management? And uh, he basically ended up inviting me to this management information meeting. And, and the reason I was going is because all my friends on the team were going. And this was kind of be like our last chance to hang out before everyone went their separate ways to different colleges at the end of the summer. And so we were all going to go out uh, together after the meeting. So I went to this meeting and I heard from some of these people who were my same age who were running offices. And, you know, I, I always thought I was 
relatively impressive. Uh, you know, like I, I was class president. I had been president of the youth group, I should say. And, you know, I like I, I was, you know, involved in sports and played varsity athletics and, you know, played tennis. And, but here I was, you know, sitting in this meeting and hearing from somebody my same age who had just finished up running their own office for a quarter billion dollar a year international marketing corporation over their summer break. And man, it really shook me that, oh man, you know, I, I got to step up my game here. And so went through the management training and loved it, loved the things that I was learning. And yeah, so went branch twice over my next two summer breaks, then had an opportunity to be pilot manager. And I would say one of the key experiences I remember Earl said to me when I was a management candidate before my first branch, this was when we were kind of interviewing for territories. And Earl said, he basically said, you've achieved a good amount of success and everyone likes you. But if I'm being honest, I've never seen you work all that hard. You've probably been able to do pretty well in school and sports the same way. So on one hand, uh, he said, it's great that you've been able to succeed without really grinding. But on the other hand, running an office is not going to be something that you're just going to be able to coast at and be automatically good if you want to achieve a high level of success. And you know that was a moment that caused some pretty good self-reflection for me. Because he was right, you know, like I was the, I got good grades without having to pull any all-nighters. I was pretty good at sports without, you know, getting private coaching and things like that. And, you know, and, and so it really caused me to double down and over-prepare for branch instead of under-prepare. I skipped spring break in Jamaica with my college buddies in order to come home and, and run interviews and a full training. And yeah, that, that sacrifice felt like a big deal at the time, but it, it was worth it. And, and it, just, it wasn't just what I learned from those eight days of sacrifice. It was more of the fact that I had made the sacrifice that most students weren't willing to make. And that decision gave me confidence. So Dan, I don't want any of the listeners to feel too bad for me about missing Jamaica. Uh, since, since then, I've been to like 25 different countries and all inclusive Mexico and Bahamas, probably another dozen or so times. So <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, I think that sacrifice for, uh, for that spring break was probably worth it. <laughs> it worked out good. It worked yeah, out good yeah, for you, Wes. For sure. <laughs> nice. Nice. You know, the, the point that Earl made that you just can't coast on talent. I'm sort of paraphrasing what you said, but the yeah. idea that you can't coast on talent. I think it's a great lesson for a lot of people in Vector to hear. I think a lot of our reps get to a certain level just based on a little bit of like previous talent and a little bit of resources that they have and a little bit of luck sometimes and it kind of comes together. But as you advance further up in the company and you take on more responsibility, you get exposed for who you really are. It takes consistent effort in development uh, to really be able to maximize your results in the long term. Mm. Uh, and this, I think, also ties back into what we're dealing with right now is that, uh, you know, this is not a time for us to be coasting on, you know, the skills that we've had in the past. This is a time for us to be actively working on our skills, you know, pretty much every day right now to, con to uh, speed up our learning curve. So, yeah. yeah. How did you end up in Arizona, Wes? So, you know, after I ran the two branch offices, by that point, Earl had been promoted to be region sales director in Southwest with Lloyd. And, you know, I, I was the pilot manager for Mike Kabaki in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And then I, I went district manager the next summer after graduating Penn State. And 
So I, I was a DM for about uh, eight months in the Philadelphia area before the opportunity to move started to be a conversation. Moving was not like a natural thing for me. So like all my family is back east. It's not like we had family members who had already moved anywhere. But the company had a national conference, our, our managers will know, SLC, our strategic leadership conference in Scottsdale that just happened to be my first fall. So that was like my first ever national conference as a manager with Cutco. And it was in Scottsdale. This was when I was still a district manager in the Philadelphia area. And it was easy to fall in love with Scottsdale. A little warm in the summers for sure, but the rest of the year is like nine months of total paradise. So I moved to Arizona with four other managers, Super Bowl weekend of 2005. And within two years, all four of those other managers had moved back east. So my best friend in the business developed a serious health challenge and he needed to be back closer to family and others moved for family reasons. So out of the five of us, I was the only one that was still here. And I was doing okay at that point as a district manager, but but not great. And so you know, my choice was to either kind of pack it in and chalk up this as great experience and this whole experiment of moving across the country and move back or, or stick it out. And so I really loved it here. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to stick it out and, and see if I can make something of it. And my office ended up going on a string of 12 consecutive years of growth, taking us from $350,000 in sales all the way up to $2.5 million a year in sales. And we've stayed basically around that level, give or take, for the last few years. So before I tell you my parents' reaction to, to me moving, I'll tell you a little bit about them, Dan. You know, When I was growing up, I worked at my parents' mom-and-pop pharmacy as a cashier. I saw how hard they worked to build that business. Uh, I remember my dad. You know, my, my dad knew everyone's names when he was in the pharmacy, and he knew their kids' names. Like everyone would come in, and he would say, "Hey, you know, hey Bob, you know how's how Sue? How, you know how the, you know?" And, and he would know everybody. And I remember seeing an adding machine on the dining room table with like ticker tape and the accounting books. And I remember my parents working on the business even when they weren't physically at the business. So you know, I, I remember seeing them working hard and, and not just punching a time clock. And but I also saw that later on in life they were able to hire another pharmacist. You know, they were able to take more family trips. So you know, I, I kind of grew up with this picture in my head that hard work combined with making people feel important pays off. And so who knows if the Frank boys would have had the guts to move across the country or even trying a non-traditional job like Cutco in the first place if we didn't have that to model after and, and you know some pretty amazing supportive parents who weren't afraid of us taking some risks. Mm. Yeah, I remember asking my mom, what was it like to have your son say that he wanted to move across the country? And they had to deal with it twice because a couple of years after me, you know, Drew decided to move to Denver right after Penn State too. And you know, my mom said, of course, she wasn't excited about seeing me last, right? But you know, she said, if you raise your kids to not be afraid of taking risks, then you can't get upset with them when they do. I remember she said, I'll never forget it because you know, now as a parent, like I think about that all the time. And, and so, Dan, if you don't mind, that actually reminds me of something I heard you say once uh, on one of our company trips to Grand Cayman. I don't know if you remember this. We were on an excursion together. and. Your wife and your daughter were there too, and it was swimming with Stingray at Stingray City. 
and the water was super choppy. The boat was up and down and your daughter was crying. The water was like splashing in the face. And, but eventually she turned it around and ended up loving it. And so we were on the shuttle back. I was sitting across the aisle from you and your daughter was in your lap. And I'll never forget, I overheard you say to her, I know you were scared at first, but then you ended up having a great time, right? And then she said, yeah, like, you know, uh, she said, yeah. And and I remember, Dan, you said, remember, brave kids have more fun. (laughs) Brave brave kids have more fun. I love that. And I, I have repeated that to my kids several times since that trip. Brave kids have more fun. I loved it. That is so cool. Nice. It's nice. Well, you were brave to move from Philly to Arizona and Drew was brave to move from Philly to Colorado. And you guys have turned out to have a lot of fun having done that. So <laughs> that is cool. It's, it's cool to hear that your parents were uh, supportive and, you know, willing to accept risk and encouraged you to, you know, take on those challenges and to, to do what it was that you wanted to do. So right. that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So as you mentioned, Drew, your brother moved a couple years after you. He moved out to Denver, now runs the Rocky Mountain Division. So you guys are sort of adjacent to each other geographically. You're in the same vector region. And you guys have had a really tremendous relationship of working together in tandem, innovating lots of programs, influencing people all throughout the company. And I know that uh, people would love to hear a little bit about that side of your experience and just working with Drew and being one of our company's great innovators. Yeah, it certainly comes back to our parents, you know, always raised us to always be there for each other. And I do want to give a shout out to our middle brother, Lee. Uh, Lee sold Cutco too. He was actually the best rep out of all three of us as a sales representative. And he hit FSM way faster than Drew or I did. So, and he's uh, had a great career in the Philadelphia region uh, in his own right in uh, other businesses. So, you know, for Drew and I, it's been such a cool thing to work together. And what other company, like you said, would I be able to live in a different state than one of my brothers and still get to see them 12, 15 times a year? And so, you know, we talk every few days, we've collaborated on a ton of programs together. We have very similar philosophies about the business. And I take a ton of pride in Drew's success. I root super hard for him. And you know, he's got like 25 national championships or something ridiculous like that. And I like to say that between the two of us, we've got like 25 national championships or something <laughs> like that. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because new managers used to ask me, Dan, if it bothered me because he was the younger brother and, and he was ahead of me in the standings. And anyone who really knows me knows that I'm telling you the truth when I say this. As long as we're both happy, healthy, successful, like that, that's what matters the most to me. And so, you know, eventually all the trophies end up in the trash. You hear that, Drew? But it's really the stories behind the trophies. It's the stories behind the trophies that make us want them so much. And, and so don't get me wrong. We got plenty of trophies in the office, but you know, it's the stories behind them that make the trophies worth it. And, you know, it's the team that did amazing things and overcame odds or the people who overcame big challenges. And, so it's not the, the hardware, it's the stories. And, and trust me, Dan, I, I got a lot of those stories from the last 20 years. So plus I taught you everything he knows. So <laughs> tell us about some of the things that you guys have been innovating here recently. 
Yeah, you know, we have worked for the last couple of years on a uh, video training program. Yeah, we didn't know it at the time, but it has really lended itself well to the current situation. And we've been able to make edits to that to have that be fully virtualized, I guess you can say. And so we've gotten some tremendous feedback from across the country for the offices and managers who are on it. Certainly, there's lots of other great programs that are out there too. So ours is not the only one, but it's been great. So that I haven't seen the other side of 2am this much since college. So the last couple of weeks has they have been some some beastly projects for sure to do the video editing and and get everything ready. But we've gotten some awesome feedback so far. The other project that uh, we've really been working on the last uh, really two weeks in particular has been totally reconstructing the the virtual demo uh, for our representatives in a way that uh, in our mind is an enhanced way for a customer to uh, get better visuals and for a rep to have an easy step-by-step program to follow. And, you know, it's like, how do we have a program that has nothing to print? How do we have a program that, you know, doesn't have a sample kit? How do we have a program with no blue book? And, you know, we feel like we found some pretty good answers for a lot of those questions in a way that's uh, so far anyway, selling uh, a lot of Cutco, which is great. And we're excited about where that could be over the next uh, few months. Yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic, Wes. You have a great reputation, Wes, throughout the company for being very smart financially. And I know this is something that you have often taught at the national level throughout our company. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a few moments to talk a little bit about that. Just some quick insights that you might have on uh, financial success. Sure. You know, when I was in high school, Dan, I remember having a goal to become a millionaire by age 35. And you know, for me, that was like, it was more about freedom. It wasn't really like the money. I was, I never grew up as somebody who was, you know, uh, just awed by money, but I, I never, here's what I didn't want. Like, I didn't want money to ever play a role in my relationships or my decisions about my, at that point, future kids and their education or opportunities. And, you know, I remember reading that like money was the number one cause of divorce. Like, I just didn't want money to, to have a role in some of the things that were going on in my life. And so, if you would have told me back then that I would reach that goal by that age selling knives, like I would have thought you were crazy. But what's funny is that growing up, I always thought about millionaires as, as having freedom to do what they want, when they want, with whom they want, whenever they want. And Dan, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't feel that way most days, but Lauren and I do spend money on things like nice meals every once in a while or concerts or family trips. But outside of that stuff, like we are not we are not extravagant people. And, you know, most of the fancy things I own are, are things that I've been given, like the BMW from the company or the Rolexes. Like those are things that I've been given from Cutco. And, and they're things I would have never justified buying on my own. So some very basic financial lessons that I could share. And certainly I know you've had some fantastic people on the podcast prior to this that I would encourage people to go back and, and listen to some of those as well, because there's some great lessons in there. But I would say, number one, just become more educated. So some people say, I'm not good with money. Well, we talked about it earlier. My, my question is, is that a problem of skill or focus? In my mind, this is a learned skill. And it's one that you can't afford to not be focused on. So there are lots of great books. There's lots of great blogs and podcasts to learn from. So if somebody says, I'm not good at money, you know, I'm not good with money... My answer is, well, what have you read about it? What are you listening to about it? Who have you talked to about it? And so 
lot of those skill answers are are out there and you know relatively uh, low in cost or even free of charge. So I would say living beneath your means. I mentioned my wife Lauren works full time too. So after I got my Cutco business to the point where it was enough to support both business and personal expenses, you know, we were able to basically just start saving her entire salary each year plus the bonuses I was earning. So that was something that that made a difference. We've heard on this podcast, I think before, the concept of pay yourself first. Like That seemed like such a weird concept to me when I first heard that. I was like, oh, well, what about my bills? And so basically, it just means to automate your savings. And I also like saving in chunks too. I, like, I know exactly what dates any bonuses I earn will hit. Like It's in my calendar. So that money is in my account one day and it's out within a day or two and straight into my investments. So like, because I know if it sits there, it's just human nature, we're going to find a way to spend it or at least be looser with our spending decisions when we see a big number in the checking account. So that's number one is just education, I would say it like number two would be, you know, seek good mentors who are also good with money. I have a monthly investment strategy call with three of my good buddies in the Cutco business. And we're all kind of around the same level in terms of income and savings at this point. So it's great to just bounce ideas off of each other and hear best practices from other people. And so number three, I would say just be aggressive. You can always scale back your savings percentage if you really need to, but you know, but be as aggressive as you can with investing and saving. So a little positive sense of anxiety with what's left in your checking account after you cut a check into investments, that it's okay to have a little bit of positive anxiety because to me that kind of keeps the heat on you to to keep producing. And so if our checking accounts are bloated, it's usually causes people to coast versus being hungry. So I try to keep the minimum amount that I need to not be overly stressed in my checking account. So Dan, I would just say those are just some real basics. And like I said, for some deeper dives, there's already been some great stuff on the pod. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll, I'll mention some of those things here at the end. Uh, but uh, the idea of having money play a lower role in your day-to-day life decisions. I thought that was a really good insight, right? Like for a lot of people, their daily decisions are oftentimes completely based on their financial state. They're restricted by their financial state. And, you know, if you can be at a point where you have enough accumulated that money is not playing a major role in your day-to-day decisions. Of course, it plays a role in what type of house you live in or sure. you know, some of the larger purchases you, that somebody might take. But the daily decisions shouldn't be affected by thinking about, you know, oh man, can I really afford this? And accumulating enough that you can do that is key. And you talked about the idea of living beneath your means. And I know for a lot of young people listening, that's not a sexy idea. Right. A lot of people think, well, you know, why should I wait to be able to enjoy myself. I want to enjoy myself now. Number one, you can enjoy yourself now and doing it in a way that's responsible. But what's important for a lot of people to realize is the idea of living beneath your means so that you can have more later. It's not the idea of saving a dollar now so you can have a dollar to spend later, right? It's not the difference of if you spend a dollar now versus spending a dollar later. It's the difference of if you save a dollar now, you can have $10 right later or in some cases even a lot more than that depending on how well you invest and how long you save for but that's what happens when somebody lives beneath their means is they have more dollars by a factor of at least 10x to be able to spend in the future on the things that they are going to want down the road 
and our, our wants and needs only grow as we get older and our responsibility only grows as we get older. And when somebody's in their 20s and doesn't have a whole lot of financial responsibilities outside of their own well-being, that's the time to really get aggressive, as you said, about living on a lot less of your income and being able to have that opportunity to accumulate early on. I think even more so now then with what's going on right now with the economy and you see you know, uh, the, the dip happening. Man, oh man, what a great opportunity for some of our young managers and reps who are just getting into some of their larger earning years and having an opportunity this summer and this year to sock away some significant money. And the stock market is basically going to be on sale for them for the foreseeable future. And so saving five or ten or twenty thousand dollars, you know, or or even a grand or two now, that's way better than doing it last year. Uh, and so just realizing that they have this window that has just opened up for them. We don't know how long the window is going to last, but the opportunity to, uh, to have even bigger compounding because of the inevitable bounce back of the economy, which, which it always uh, has done and, and always will. Uh, it's just a matter of time. So saving money now can be putting ourselves in a great position for the next five, 10 years. That's an awesome point. I think there's a palpable sense of the excitement or the opportunity of saving right now and investing right now. And so for people to think about establishing some really great habits during 2020, right. on living on 70% of your income or 50% of your income or something a lot less than 100 sure. and being able to establish those habits of saving and investing right now is, a, is definitely a great opportunity. Wes, is a, just to wrap this up, as you look into the future, you know, down uh, the road, five, 10 years, what, what are you most excited about? I think just you know trying to improve as a dad and husband first and foremost. Dan, you and I are both in a dad's group together, and, and that's been great for me. Learning best practices for those roles, and you know, which I like to say are my most important. And you know, joining this group really allowed me to kind of grow and, and, and learn from some really impressive dads out there. So to me, that's the first thing I would say. Second, on the side, Dan, I've gotten involved in angel investing, so. You know, it's been a really stimulating thing for me. So I got started a couple of years ago and I'm an early stage investor in 12 companies now. So taking a just a small percentage of my yearly savings and I always make sure I hit my savings goal in my traditional savings first, but then anything over that, I kind of use it to help propel some startup companies that I believe in. And a majority of my investments, like I said, are pretty boring in, in mutual funds and just uh, being consistent. But the angel stuff allows me to take a couple home run swings on the side as long as I continue to hit my traditional investment goals each year. If there's a year that I don't hit my traditional investment goals, then I, I won't do angel that year. So you need to be an accredited investor to get involved with it. But once I qualify for that, I'll tell you, just being in that room with that group of people, big thinking founders and CEOs and it's good to feel like you're at the bottom of a new learning curve every once in a while. And this has been a great way for me to do that on the side. And uh, so I'm excited to continue learning and, and supporting aspiring leaders, both inside and outside the Cutco business. So last thing I'll, I'll say, Dan, is that I'm, I'm really energized by the leaders in Cutco and the direction that the company is headed. Jim Stitt, Bruce and Albert and John Kane and many others I have massive respect and admiration for the RM team, starting with Lloyd and certainly yourself and others. 
and you know my fellow DVM colleagues. So I can't think of a better group of people to build businesses and lives alongside. So I think our best years as a company are ahead of us. Awesome, Wes. Really great stuff right there. I appreciate your wisdom and your insight on this. As I said at the very outset of this, you are somebody who is viewed as being very smart, very innovative and creative, and just super well-respected throughout the Vector Cutco organization. And I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy hearing your thinking about the current crisis and getting to know your story. So again, grateful for you making the time for the podcast. Thanks a lot. Dan, thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. Wes Frank, everyone, I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. Uh, Pretty cool to hear Wes's story, starting with the great Earl Kelly in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and the idea that Earl came to Wes one time and said, hey, you know what? You're well-liked and you're doing well, but I really haven't seen you work super hard. I really haven't seen you put in your best. And for a lot of people, I think that message can resonate that uh, a lot of people maybe coast sometimes on talent. And, you know, the, the concept of comfort versus necessity that Wes and I talked about early in the conversation and that now is not a time for that, right? Particularly now as we're innovating through a crisis period, right? Now is not a time for coasting. Now is not a time for comfort. Now is a time for ready, fire, aim. Now is a time for daily effort and improvement, really digging in and working hard on growing our skills And, uh, you know, that people are, as Wes said, are open to thinking differently right now. And there's a great lesson in that about why do we take so long to innovate? I think many businesses and many leaders can consider that concept as it applies to your own organization is, you know, why did we take so long to innovate and grow? And what are the lessons that we can take from this after we're out of this current crisis that can enable us to continue to grow and innovate in whatever problem we face? Is it a question of skill or a question of focus? And that uh, if it's a question of skill, all of the answers are out there, right? For anything that somebody wants to learn, the answers are out there and we can innovate much more quickly. I want to recommend something that came from a book that I've given out to a lot of people. The book is called Bedtime Stories for Managers. It's by a very interesting and creative author named Henry Mintzberg. Some of his ideas could be labeled as controversial or against the grain. Sometimes, and that's one of the things I enjoy about reading his work. And he has a section in his book called Growing Strategies Like Weeds in the Garden. And he talks about the development of strategy. And one development of strategy is sort of the way that we would grow tomatoes in a hothouse. And uh, he says there's one prime strategist that comes up with ideas. They're usually the CEO or the head of an organization. They decide on what strategy is going to be, and they bring together some of their team of planners and analysts to kind of put the details together. And then this strategy gets unveiled to the organization, and people begin implementing it, right? And it sort of is uh, worked on and managed throughout this process. It's sort of a top-down strategy of developing something. And the opposite of that is sort of a grassroots model of strategy formation. Instead of ideas being cultivated like tomatoes in a hothouse, they start out like weeds in a garden and they grow in all kinds of different places. It's not always a top producer that comes up with great strategies. But if you're a part of Vector, anybody in the company right now can innovate new and better ways of selling, new and better ways of recruiting and training and developing our people, right? Innovating new programs can come from anywhere. 
They take root in all these places and the ideas become strategies when they pervade the organization. When other people see what you're doing and go, oh, that's pretty cool. I want to do that. And they start doing it and then somebody else starts doing it. That's when these ideas become actual strategies in the company. And anybody, anywhere can be the starting point for that, particularly right now at this time of greatest need. Everybody listening has an opportunity to be an innovator and to create programs and ideas that can become a part of the success of the company that you're with, whether it's Vector or someplace else. This is the time to sow different strategies right now so that we can reap greater benefits later on down the road. And so I would just want to encourage everybody to be thinking about that, particularly as Wes shared that concept of ready, fire, aim. Of course, Wes also talked about some financial ideas and the idea that it's great to have be in a position where money plays a much lower role in your day-to-day decisions. And the way to get there is to save and accumulate enough that you know you're in good shape no matter what happens. You know you're going to be okay no matter what happens. I've had two podcast episodes that have been directly related to finances. One of them was episode number 10 with Adam Stock, who is a financial advisor to many of Vector's elite people. And another one of them was episode 38 with Rachel Richards, who set a goal to achieve financial independence very early in her life. And by age 27, had already done this through passive investing. And Rachel is the author of two very cool books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. And so consider listening to those two podcasts, checking out those two people online. You can learn a lot about them. I also have a video called Dollars and Cents, S-E-N-S-E, that you can find just by typing my name into YouTube. It's on the Changing Lives podcast YouTube channel as well. And it offers up some very rudimentary financial tips that can help anybody get the ball rolling with being in a positive financial state. So I'd recommend those resources as well. I want to thank Wes Frank once again for making time on short notice to be able to offer some insights today and tell his story. I hope that everybody is doing well and that you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.